Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. I am here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello. And it's good to, to have you, Josh, in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. And uh, for the first time in many, many weeks that you're not uh, on, uh, uh, on duty somewhere. And so it's good to have you back. It's it's great to be back, and it's a great time to be back. Um, it's actually the same time that Jews throughout the world should be heading towards Yerushalayim, Yer Kodesh, because we know that three times a year there is an obligation to make a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem, and uh, Passover is one of those three times. So we're hoping that everybody that's listening to us also are packing their bags and <clears throat> are on their way here as well. I look forward to seeing them. Uh, Israel Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. We are a live show, and uh, you, we encourage you to call in. Uh, this is We know it's uh, right before Passover, and everybody's very busy. Um, that having been said, we also know that probably most people are at home, so this is a great opportunity to, to be a first caller. And to call in, if you happen to still be in North America, packing your bags, ready to come to Jerusalem, you can still call us at 301-768-4841. That's 301-768-4841. And we'd love to talk, you, uh, talk to you on your way to the airport. Uh, if you're already here in Eretz Israel and you've already unpacked your bags and you're here in the hotel or, or staying in your apartment here, then the number is 2 Six five zero zero one five one. Again, if you're here in Jerusalem, getting your Paschal sacrifice ready, then the number is zero two six five zero zero one five one. We will be back in a few minutes. I just wanted to encourage everybody to look at our websites. I, my website is itstimetoleave.com, and Rabbi Lichtman's website is at toratzion.com. Please check out both of those sites. They, so they are have a wealth of information on them, and uh, we encourage you to not only visit the sites but to stick stick by because we're going to be right back with some amazing information about the upcoming holiday did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Uh, it's just a few days before the holiday of uh, Passover, which we 
are uh, commemorating the exodus from Egypt. And it is, as our sages say, we are supposed to imagine ourselves as if we ourselves were leaving Egypt on that night. And that is something that's not so easy to do, to, to, to think about ourselves um, being slaves in a foreign land and uh, breaking out not only of the, the uh, physical bondage that we were in, but the mentality, I think, I think we could, this would be a great uh, subject now that I think of it to speak about, is the slave mentality that we had to break out of when we came out of Egypt. Um, our sages tell us that we were on a very, very low level of spirituality. In fact, they say there are 50 levels. We were on the 49th level. We were almost at the complete bottom of the barrel. And it was from there that God rescued us, that he brought us out of Egypt and brought us to towards the Holy Land, where we are now. And uh, unfortunately, we had some hiccups on the way, including the Cheta uh, HaEgel, the golden calf, and the sin of the spies, and things that uh, delayed our coming into the land. But eventually, we did get here, and uh, we, even though we were exiled for thousands of years, we are back yet again. So for us that are here in the land, I think this is a very special holiday. As we mentioned before uh, in the beginning of the show, that there is an obligation for all Jews three times a year to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Uh, and this is an incredible idea because people left everything. Imagine all the Jews getting up and leaving uh, their homes unguarded, uh, no army, no, no police, no security guards. They just left, and this was considered to be one of the miracles, that they were able to come to Jerusalem, and no one raided their house, invaded their house, um, and, uh, and, and we are reliving that today. We are reliving that today. We can see with the news that is coming out of Eastern Europe, we can see with the news that is uh, the, the violence that is happening in the United States that Jews are slowly but surely waking up to the fact that it's time for them to move home. And that's what we are all about. Now, Passover actually is a very interesting holiday because it includes all sorts of different laws. The laws that we are most familiar with, uh, that we have been practicing for uh, thousands of years, uh, since we lost our temple, was destroyed here in Jerusalem. Uh, those laws included the Seder night that most people here, I'm sure, listening are familiar with, the four cups of wine, the idea of the, the, um, the uh, matzah that we eat, uh, the maror, the, the bitter herbs that we eat, and all these different practices that we have. And the only connection we still have to the main element of the Passover Seder is called the Afikoman. The Afikoman at the end, for those that have been to a Seder before, at the end of the Seder, uh, we hide, there's a tradition to hide a piece of the matzah, and we let the kids go around and try to find this hidden matzah. And when they find it, they usually get a prize for doing so. And that 
matzah at the end of the whole Seder, that matzah represents the Paschal sacrifice, the Korban Pesach. Now, we have in the, in the real way to do it, the, the way we're supposed to be doing it, that on what we call today the Eva Passover, um, everybody would be already getting ready for the Paschal sacrifice. That would actually be the main show, is the Paschal sacrifice. And everything else around it, the matzah and the four cups of wine and the maror, those are those are sort of side things that's that go a, along with the paschal sacrifice. But the, like I said, the the main the main uh, focus was on the paschal sacrifice. And you can imagine that millions of Jews are coming on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They're leaving their homes all around the world. Um, definitely anywhere here in Israel, and they're, sometimes they're leaving. If they're coming from Babylon, they might be leaving weeks in advance, months in advance, coming to Jerusalem. And once they get here, they set up camp here, and they start preparing for their Paschal sacrifice. Now, the, the numbers of Paschal sacrifices were incredible, and there's only a certain amount of hours that one is able to bring the Paschal sacrifice, and only a certain amount of hours that one afterwards is able to uh, eat it. Now, the Paschal sacrifice was unlike other sacrifices in, in a number of different ways. Uh, it was not sacrificed on the altar, on the Mizbeach in the temple, but it was actually taken after it was sacrificed in the temple. It was taken out of that place, and it was brought to a place in Jerusalem where there would be a chabura, there would be a group of people, families that would join together, and they would sit around the campfire, so to say, an open spit, where they would cook this paschal sacrifice, and they would make it, uh, and they would eat it together uh, through the night. And around that paschal sacrifice, while they were camping out and they were eating this paschal sacrifice, they were also doing the seder, and they were saying the halal service, and they were eating the matzah and the mar and all the other things that we we do do today. But uh, but we've lost, like I said, that main element. Now that main element, very interestingly. Was uh, was an element which, for thousands of years, and and I would say most even Orthodox Jews today, think that that is an element that is far 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 from the reach of of Jews today. This is not something that can be done today. This is not something that is realistic today. We don't have a temple. We don't have uh, the ability to bring sacrifices. So how does this work today? And this was actually a subject that was addressed by a great rabbi in Prezberg 200 years ago. His name was, he was known as the Chatam Sofer, and he was asked by his father-in-law, Rabbi Akiva Eger, another great rabbi, whether it would be permissible to bring the Paschal sacrifice today in our times, today meaning 200 years ago. And he interestingly writes a whole responsa uh, addressing this question, and he goes back and forth and, and discusses all the reasons why you would think maybe it is not applicable today. Uh, those reasons having to do with uh, the fact that we are impure today, uh, we're in a, a state of defilement, uh, the fact that we don't have uh, kohanim, we don't have the priestly class that is miyuchas, that is has a, a pedigree going all the way back to Aharon Kohen, the first kohen. Um, we don't have machzit shekel. He maybe is the problem that most communal sacrifices have to be purchased with communal funds that are brought together by all the Jewish people, which we don't do today. 
uh, although we do a, 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 uh, uh, something in memory of it, um, and, and other questions that he brings up. And, and then at the end of the responsa, he basically concludes that we are able to overcome all of these problems. And the real issue that is stopping us from bringing the Paschal sacrifice today in our times, in his times 200 years ago, was the fact that the Ottoman Turkish Sultan would not give permission for us to access the Temple Mount and the place of the altar. Jewish people, since the temple was built, are not able to bring sacrifices anywhere except for a specific spot in, in, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And we're not allowed to bring sacrifices anywhere else, so we have to have access to that spot, the place of the altar. Now, um, since he wouldn't give permission for us to go there, um, it wasn't really realistic because even if we can overcome all the other issues, we would still still have this issue that we wouldn't be able to access the place of the altar. So if you replace the Ottoman Turkish Sultan with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu or, or Naftali Bennett, any of the recent prime ministers of Israel, we have the same issue for 54 years. We have had sovereignty over the Temple Mount. Theoretically, we, in, 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 a, in a heartbeat, the prime minister can say we can have access on the eve of Passover to the Temple Mount, to the place of the altar, and we can start rebringing the Paschal sacrifice as we are uh, obligated to do. I forgot to mention that there are only two positive commandments in the Torah that have the, one of the worst, the worst punishment, which is called karet, um, and those are the brit milah, the circumcision. If someone doesn't circumcise themselves, circumcise themselves or or their children, uh, or and the paschal sacrifice. If one doesn't, if one's able to and doesn't bring the paschal sacrifice, there's a, this horrible punishment of being cut off. There's different opinions of what that means, but it's a terrible punishment. Uh, so we take it very seriously. Those that live here, especially for someone like myself who wakes up in the morning and opens up his window and sees a beautiful view of the Temple Mount outside my window, we cannot go uh, by any year without thinking that this this is going to be the year that we can re start rebringing the, 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 the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Sacrifice. And for that reason, we actually prepare for it. We prepare for it in many different ways. And one of those ways is we actually prepare sheep and goats. They have to be older than one week. They have to be less than a year. And they have to be checked. We had a whole uh, group yesterday that came to check uh, the, the goats that we purchased this year and to make sure that it doesn't have any blemishes. That's also a requirement. And we have it ready. We're not, we're not saying that they're sacrifices, but we have it ready. So as soon as we are given access to the place of the altar, as soon as we have a government with a backbone we are, and, and the prime minister that's saying that we're going to have uh, access to it, we can already start rebringing the, the Paschal sacrifice, bringing back the most in, in, integral, most important, most central part of the Passover service, which we lack today. Stick with us and we'll continue this conversation after the break. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentecohen. Each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and uh, we had some. Te- I had some technical difficulties in, during the first uh, segment, so I really didn't join in very much. Um, but it was a very uh, interesting topic that Josh was talking about, and of course, we all hope for that day. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, Josh. Um, the first shiur, the first class that I ever heard from our shared uh, Rebbe, Rav Herschel Schechter Shlita, was on the topic of building the temple in our days or, you know, things like like what you spoke about, about um, temple, temple service during an hour, day and age. Uh, he quoted from... Uh, Sears Kalisher also has a whole discussion about he really wanted to um, reinstate the temple service. Uh, so he gave a whole sheer about it. And that's from ever, from that moment on, I was hooked. Uh, and I've always loved hearing his shirim because he really um, is one of the Gedolei Ador, one of the great rabbis of our generation. And um, in fact, when one of my sons got bar mitzvah, and it was during the three weeks, which is a time, actually it was during, I, I take that back, it was during the nine days. It was during a time of the year where you're not allowed to really have music or or any normal things that one would do at a bar mitzvah, at a simcha, um, a joyous occasion. So we decided to make the theme of the bar mitzvah the rebuilding of the temple. And it's during the summer when Rav Shechter is in, um, in in Israel. And I asked him far in advance whether he would be uh, so kind as to come to the bar mitzvah and give that cheer over again. And he did. He came to the bar mitzvah and it was all about the rebuilding of the temple and and what we can do. So he discussed also this whole issue about you know bringing the, the Pesach sacrifice which is one of the few which actually can be done theoretically in our day. Um, so anyway, it's a very interesting. And just just topic. for transparency, yeah, uh, Rabbi Schechter is uh, against the idea of preparing sheep and goats in advance um, because not because he's against the idea of preparing for the temple service. He's all for that, um, but he's concerned about a, a another transgression that is called meila. That if you were to accidentally take one of these animals and sanctify it, right. of course we we make a very, we're very careful not to do that. But if we were to do that, it would become very problematic because you wouldn't be able to use it for any other purpose except for the the the, the uh, temple sacrifice. Right, right, right. For sure, for sure. Um, so anyway, um, a very interesting topic, and uh, you know what? If nothing else. It should arouse in us the desire for the coming of the Messiah, and for you know for what we all wait for the the day when we can be ourselves, when we can keep the Torah to the fullest the way God intended it to be fulfilled in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem on certain times of the year, 
serving God in his temple, and we all look forward to that. Uh, I, I, wanna, I think that the yeah. point of Rabbi Kalisher and the Chassam Zofer that we mentioned earlier is that you do, we don't have to wait for the Messiah to come to make these things happen. We can do it even before the Messiah comes. So for those the people that are using the excuse that we're waiting, we wait for the Messiah to come to do everything, um, I, I think that, that is the, the, they're somewhat missing the point that you can do plenty of things without the Messiah. In fact, by doing those things, you're showing that you want the Messiah to come because you are actually doing everything that is in your ability to, uh, to make these things happen. Correct, correct. And uh, that's what God wants to see. He wants to see how badly we want it. And if we want it badly enough, he'll, he'll send it. He'll send us the Messiah. Uh, we find that actually another connection to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The, uh, the exodus from Egypt came because we cried out to God. We need to cry out to God and to show him how much we, we want his closeness and how much we want his salvation and how much we need it. Um, I think there's another connection that we have to make between Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, and our day and age. Um, and that is, I think, specifically the holiday of Pesach is very, very similar to what we're going through today. You know, we had the holiday of, of Pesach. The Jews were physically, exa uh, I'm sorry, uh, redeemed from slavery in Egypt. But things weren't perfect yet. We were not yet on the level to receive the Torah. It took seven weeks for us to bring ourselves up, like you mentioned at the very beginning, the forty from the 49th level of Tuma, the 49th level of, of defilement, till we finally got to the level that we were able to stand at the foot of Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, and receive the Torah. And the holiday of Shavuot is the holiday when we celebrate really the culmination of the exodus from Egypt. The exodus from Egypt was just the physical as exodus, and then the the um, the holiday of Shavuot was the spiritual redemption. It was when we, we reached the level to to really you know be who we really can be. But even then, we were still not in the land of Israel. You know, there's an explicit verse that tells us that the whole point of the exodus from Egypt. Was not was not even to get to the to Mount Sinai and receive the Torah. It was to get into Eretz Israel. It was the receiving of the Torah was just a prerequisite to be able to go into the land of uh, of Israel. You can't go into the land of Israel without Torah. So the, the, our our connection to the land of Israel is based on the Torah and 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 is a place where we were supposed to keep the Torah. The ver verse says in Devarim. 623 he brought us out of there in order to bring us to give us the land that he swore to our forefathers meaning he brought us out of egypt in order to that is the whole the whole purpose of leaving egypt was to get to the land of israel so but what does I'm it mean when we yes. sing this we sing the this the famous song of dayenu and we say even if he didn't bring us to the land of israel that would be enough that would be sufficient yeah, so Dayenu, the whole, you could say the same thing about if he would have brought us to Har Sinai, to the Mount Sinai, and not given us the Torah, Dayenu. No one's going to think to say that, you know, we don't really need Torah. It's just, you know, sufficient not to, just to bring us there. Dayenu means it would have been enough reason for us to thank Hashem. Meaning Hashem did a million things for us. 
And we are showing how thankful we are that it would have been unbelievable had he just done the first thing and not even all the other ones. And and he did that one too. And then if he had only done two things and not the third, wow, it would have been sufficient. Dayenu, sufficient to thank Hashem. But of course, God did all of them for us and including giving of the Torah and, and, and going into the land of Israel because all of them are part of the ultimate plan of of, of creating a holy nation in the holy land, keeping the holy Torah. Um, it's not Dayenu that, you know, it's enough. We don't need the rest. The rest is not important. Dayenu, it's a very big mistake that people make. Dayenu doesn't mean it's enough. We don't need the rest. Dayenu, it would have been sufficient reason for us to thank God if he hadn't given us even the greater thing. But he did. And and now we know retro, in retrospect, of course, that we need it all. It, it's all part of our religion. We can't do without Torah. We can't do without the land of Israel. We need all of those things put together. But the 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 point that I'm trying to make is that the exodus from Egypt is not what it's cut out. It's not what everyone thinks. It thinks you know. That was it. We were redeemed. That was the ultimate redemption. That was just the beginning of the redemption. That was what we call the Ithalt de Geula. That was the physical redemption from slavery to freedom. And then after that, we we went higher and higher spiritually until we got the Torah, until we eventually got into Eretz Don't forget, we were supposed to get the Torah and then three or 11 days later, go into the land of Israel, and that would have been the ultimate redemption forever and ever. But we sinned. We sinned many times, and especially we sinned with the the, the spies, where they rejected the land of Israel, and then God said, no, this generation cannot go into the land of Israel. They don't deserve it. They have the slave mentality like you like you mentioned, and we need a new generation to be able to go in. But what I'm trying to say is that that's the same thing as what happened in our day and age. People belittle certain people, right? Belittle the establishment of the state of Israel and say, oh, what's so special? There's so much sacrilege going on. There is so much desecration of the Sabbath and and in laxity in, in many areas of halacha, of Torah observance. So what are we happy about? There's nothing to be happy about. And the answer is, then you have nothing to be happy about the fact that we got out of Egypt either. Because we were, we were so the day we got out of Egypt, we were on the 48th, let's say the 48th level of Tumah. <laughs> what's, what's to be happy about? We were still over the Avodah right? The famous, famous Midrash. When we got to the to the uh, the Red Sea before it split, right? That was seven days later, right? We already left Egypt. Seven days later, what does it say? The angel said, "Why God are you saving the Jews?" Hallelu of the Avodah The Egyptians are idol worship persons. So are the Jews. Why are you going to save them? And the answer is because God understood that this nation is eventually going to be able to reach the level to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. But my point is that it was the Ithal to the Gula. It was the beginning, and we celebrate it, just like we should celebrate the beginning of our redemption when we were freed from physical slavery, when we received the great gift of the state of Israel that we should also be very thankful to God for what he did, even though we're not yet at the end. There's a lot, we have a lot more to go. 
All right, please stick with us. We just have a small, short break, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound most essential and yet often the most neglected in our education join me for soul talk on israel's news talk radio and discover the secrets to love spiritual growth and personal power Okay, welcome back. So I wanted to another speak about another aspect of the uh, Passover Seder that we do. Most people think that this is like a child's uh, rhyme that is that is done at the end uh, of the Passover Seder, uh, Seder that people sing what is known as Chad Gadya. Chad Gadya is speaking about a little goat. And uh, the Vilna Gon actually has a very deep interpretation of this, uh, of this rhyme. And uh, it's a cute rhyme, but again, it has very, very deep meaning to it. The, the rhyme starts off that there's one little goat, one little goat that my father bought for two coins, one little goat, one little goat. And the following paragraph is a different interpretation as to what the first stanza is referring to. The goat is the firstborn that Yaakov bought from Esau with bread and lentils, which correlates to my father bought for two coins and then he gave it over to Yosef. In fact, the small numerical value of Bechorah is the same as the numerical value of Gedi, of goat. Subsequently, when the brothers sold Yosef, he was 17, which is the same numerical value as Gedi. That is what it means when it says that the cat ate the goat. All the good that Hashem bestows upon us is simply inherited from our forefathers. Were it not for Yitzchak's blessing to Yaakov, everything would have gone to Esav and we would have been left with nothing. What was the source of this blessing exactly? So according to the Gemara, it was the two goats that Yaakov bought to, brought to Yitzchak on Erev Pesach to receive the blessing. As the sages teach, they are good for you and they are good for your children. Meaning, one is good in that he would receive the blessings, and the other is good for his children that they will, be, they will bring two seirim, two goats, to atone for their sins on Yom Kippur. The Gra explains that the animals that Yaakov brought and the seirim actually worked the same. Just like the two seirim were brought for atonement and to appease the, the Satan, so too... The two goats that Yaakov brought were to receive the blessing and to appease the Satan. Yaakov was proceeded to give these blessings over to Yosef. Now, one, one may question, didn't he bless all of his children? The Grub points out that regarding each of the other tribes, the Torah does not use the word blessing. Only with regards to Yosef do we see it actually describes as blessings. Along came the cat and ate the goat. Along came the dog and bit the cat that ate the goat. However, the brothers got jealous, which is the nature of a cat. 
and sold Yosef, who represents the goat, in order that they could inherit his blessings. And Yosef's ultimate passing of Pharaoh, who is compared to a dog, put the tribes into slavery as punishment for the sale of Yosef. Along came a stick and beat the dog. Along came a fire and burnt the stick. The sages write that when Moshe arrived to save the Jewish people and remove Pharaoh from power, he hit Pharaoh as if he were a dog with his famous staff. After the redemption, the entry into Eretz Yisrael and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, the fire came along to destroy all they had ever worked for. The Yetzirah of the idol worship enticed the Jewish people to reverse what the stick represented, which was the redemption, and led to the burning and destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Along came water and extinguished the fire. Nevertheless, since the Jewish people are impervious, impervious to destruction, they put out the fire. Water, which the Jewish people are compared to, extinguished the fire of the Yetzirah. According to another interpretation, the water represents the Anshe Knesset Tagdola that rebuilt the Jewish nation. Unfortunately, along came the ox and drank the water. Edom, a descendant of Esav, who is referred to as an ox, destroyed the Beit HaMikdash and propelled the Jewish people into the Roman exile, and we were still suffering, we're still suffering through that today. As a side note, the first destruction is compared to fire because the main sin was the fiery idol worship. On the other hand, the second destruction is compared to an ox, since our baseless hatred brought it with the strength of Esav, who is compared to an ox. Along came the slaughterer and slaughtered the ox. But there is always hope. Mashiach ben Yosef will come and save us from this 2,000-year exile. In fact, it is very fitting since Yosef is also referred to as an ox. Along came the angel of death and killed the slaughterer. And along came the Holy One, blessed be he, and killed the angel of death. However, as it is recorded in the, the Sepharim, Mashiach ben Yosef will be killed. Nevertheless, Mashiach ben David will be the ultimate savior, as when the hand of Israel rises up, the blessings return. Every time we lose something, we get everything back. And every time we do tshuva, we get everything back. Therefore, we return to the beginning, one goat. This was written, this is a piece that was written by uh, an author, um, Nisim Franco, but uh, a very interesting interpretation, deep interpretation into this seemingly child's rhyme at the end of the Passover Seder. Yes, and um, you know the the idea that Mashiach ben Yosef comes first, and then he will be killed, whatever that means, right? It's the, what the Talmud says in uh, Tractate Sukkah, I think, page fifty-two, and um, and then eventually Mashiach ben David will come, but as it says. Malachamavet. It's you know it 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 follows. Mashiach ben David follows the the Malachamavet, the angel of death, and this corresponds to an idea that the Gra himself also says, and it's also found in a midrash, that prior to the ultimate redemption, there will be, like I guess you would say, the equivalent of the angel of death, which is, there will be terrible, terrible, terrible suffering of the Jewish people. Um, and only after that will HaKadosh Baruch Hu God 
through Mashiach ben David come and save the Jewish people. And this corresponds to um, many statements of the rabbis who say, for example, Rabbah and Ula, two Talmudic scholars, scholars of the Talmud, right, and Amoraim, who say very explicitly, Yeti velo ichmine, let him come, let Mashiach come, we want him to come, but I, each one of them said, I do not want to see him, because they foresaw that the troubles of the Messianic era are going to be so unbearable that that they just didn't want to be take part in it. They said, you know, we hope he comes, but we hope we're, it's not in our generation. We hope we're not alive at the time. And, you know, the fact that right after the end of the Holocaust, which was not only arguably, I would say, was undeniably the worst tragedy the Jewish people ever suffered in its entire um history, and we know that it was a history filled with tremendous suffering and persecution. There has never been anything even close to the Holocaust. Um, right after that, three years later, what do we have? We have the establishment of the State of Israel. We have the beginning of the, or uh, continuation of the ingathering of the exiles, but like, uh, you know, much, much greater than it was before. And the beginning of the ultimate redemption. And it's just so uncanny. It's so uh, uncanny that the uh, th- that this happened exactly as was foreseen, foreseen by the by the rabbis. And it's not just that Gemara that the Rabbi Nula said, you know, we want him to come, but we don't want to be there. There's also a very famous uh, midrash in Sefer Tehillim which states that, uh, gives a mashal, gives a parable of a father and son who are going on the way, and the son says to his father, like children uh, often do, Dad, are we there yet? No, when are we getting there already? You know, the children are very uh, very impatient, and the father says, listen, I don't want to answer your question every five minutes, are we there yet? I'm just going to give you a sign. The sign is, when you see a cemetery, you will know that the Medina, the state or the the city, the place, our destination is nearby. And the reason for that is simple, because in those days, cemeteries were built on the outskirts of the city. And even today, right, they're on the outskirts of the city. And therefore, we're traveling. And when we see the cemetery, then you know that we're close to the city, says the Midrash. So, too, when you see the troubles, because the cemetery represents, like as, we, as you said, the Malchamavet. It represents the angel of death. It represents the persecution, the troubles that the Jewish people have to go through during the exile. And when that happens, you know that there's something good that's going to come right after that, and that's the, the city, the Medina, the place that we're supposed to get to, which is the ultimate redemption is going to follow. And then there's one more, and that is the, the Gra himself, like that you quoted, the Gura himself says something absolutely unbelievable. He says he points out that the the um, Gula is compared in two different places in Tanakh is compared to childbirth and to daybreak. And he says, why these two comparisons? Because we know that daybreak, right? The 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 period of time right before daybreak is the darkest part of the night. 
And similarly, a woman who gives birth, the hardest part of the labor is right before the actual birth. That's when she's in the most pain. He says, therefore, it's to tell us that the right before the gula, right before the, the birth, the rebirth of the Jewish people, there's going to be darkness that is darker than the rest of the exile. There's going to be pain that's more painful than the rest of the exile. And if that's not referring to the Holocaust, I don't know what it is. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Um, we'd love to hear your uh, feedback, so please uh, be in touch and come back and uh, join us again next week. Everyone should have a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Great Pesach. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.